Welcome to Four Generations to Come, a podcast by Generations Church. We are a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. Whether you are re-listening to a Sunday teaching or listening to the playback because you weren't able to join us live during our Sunday gathering, we're excited to connect with you. We hope to see you this summer at our midweek meetups across the Northwest. You can also check out the playlist for the Songs We Sing series on our website or social media. Behind every song is a story, a personal story or the story of Scripture. What we sing shapes us. Whether it's the kid song in your head that you can't seem to shake, or the tune to which you cling when difficulty arises. The songs we sing during our gatherings remind us of who God is and what He has done, as well as who we are in Him. In our summer series, we take a look at the meaning behind the music to help us live our liturgy, so that our faith is an everyday faith. The songs we sing shape us. May they help us become more like Jesus. Enjoy today's teaching. And the second one is we're starting a new teaching series. We did a master class for about 400 weeks, and that was really fun. And uh, so we got to know 1 Corinthians really well. Um, but we're through that one now. So we're starting a new one, and it's all summer, and it's going to be the songs that we sing. So why do we sing the songs that we sing? What is the purpose behind them? What's the meaning behind them? Why does Charles and all the folks that work on our worship team pick those songs, right? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what those songs are. So we do have a verse that we're going to read that correlates with the teaching today. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app, open up uh, your Bible to Joshua 21, verses 43 and 45. All right, so I'm going to read this. So it says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land that he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he has sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Yes. So, new series, Songs We Sing. Now, I'm not really a music person. If you were to join on a car ride with me and we were going anywhere, I would probably be listening to like ESPN radio, a podcast, some sort of talk or teaching. I'm not really listening to music, but the power of music is not lost on me. We've all had the experience where a song gets stuck in your head and you just can't get it out. So let's have a little fun with this this morning. What's the start of a song, maybe a lyric or two, that if someone said out loud that it's going to be in your head the rest of the day? So let me hear some answers. Well, Wheels on the bus. All right, and there it goes, round and round. It's a small world. Baby shark. 
You're welcome for that one. You are welcome. My money don't jiggle. Okay, that shout out to, to Jonathan Hawkins last week. Okay. The, what? Never going to give you up. Man, there we go. Now, the, the classic is, and it's been a few years, is I have kids, so it's like, let it go. You know, and just you're welcome for that to bring. We don't talk about Bruno. For uh, all those Encanto fans, so if you've got little kids, chances are that you've heard one or two of those, or maybe just that TikTok sound that just can't quite get out of your head. At the end of the day, music shapes us. The songs we listen to tell a story. They give us meaning and maybe sometimes even energy to keep us going, to sustain us, Even the catchy ones that we think just have this common refrain with maybe not much meaning shape us. Music is one of those mood-setting mechanisms which help us cope with the reality of our world. They help us experience. You know, a good movie has an incredible music soundtrack. The beat drops right at the right moment. In a tense situation, the music that's all poppy and cheery while the setting is intense doesn't seem to match up and you'd be kind of like, what is going on? So music helps set the mood. It helps us cope with the reality in which we live our world, even the evil in our world. We usually call pain points, evil, and even difficulties metaphorical battles. They can range from our desire to be more patient, but after the third time of a fork scraping on a plate by a kid, you're a little frustrated and you say, just stop right now, (laughs) to any self-destructive addiction. It's a battle. There's a fight, a competition of sorts between our desire, what pieces, what we want to see, and outcome. Framed by our sense of time, an appropriate resolution should occur, resulting in our happiness. Let me say that again. Framed by our sense of time, an appropriate resolution should occur, resulting in our happiness. That's what we think. And as I say that, your head may be spinning and, God, what do you mean by that? I'm not entirely sure what you were trying to say by that. Let me frame it up this way. Two teams are in a soccer match, championship. Team A scores two and team B scores three and wins the championship. Objectively, in that moment, team B won. They scored more than team A and won the championship. But let's say team B also suffers a catastrophic injury. Their best player ends the career and he can't play anymore. And then in the next five seasons, Team B never makes it back to the postseason. Meanwhile, Team A is filled with young talent and the experience of making it to the championship game and losing sets them on a trajectory so that they make it back to the championship three, no, four times and win three in the next five years. 
as we look at that game in that scenario, who won? In that moment, we would say objectively, Team B won. They won the championship. But also, when you step back and allow for more time and perspective, while Team B won one championship, Team A, based on that experience, won three. So in light of that one game, stepping back and looking at that six-year run, we can begin to see and have some perspective. Now, it's, it's tempting to fall into the postmodern spiral and say winning and its opposite losing are all a matter of perspective. That's not what I'm saying here. But framed up rightly, we will begin to redefine what it actually means to win and what it means to lose. Teacher and kind of public speaker Simon Sinek talks about the difference between the finite game and the infinite game. In the finite game, there's clearly defined endpoint. There are winners and losers. There's a boundary. There's an agreed upon set of rules. The infinite game, all parties are working to keep the game in play. There's no defined rules or time limit. You just keep going, trying to see a set of desired outcomes. There's no real winners and losers, but those who ultimately lose drop out of the game due to a lack of will or resources to continue playing. It's one reason when we sometimes look at wars or sit back and see dynasties or a series of championships in sports that we can look at and go, who ultimately won? And the reality is that if it's about legacy, if it's about sustained success, if it's about perspective over time, it's hard to see in the moment what winning and losing is really like. So what does it mean to win and what does it mean to lose in the Christian life for us and for God? If on the surface winning means never facing suffering, the absence of conflict, or even uncertainty... Thus, to lose means the presence of those, the presence of suffering, conflict, or even uncertainty. Then we need to stop singing the song that we're talking about today called Never Lost. It would be unbiblical and wrong to sing that song. However, we do choose to sing that song, supported by Scripture. While some lines are filled with potential pitfalls of understanding, I do believe this song provides a powerful anthem to help us live our faith, our faith every day. And face difficulty, uncertainty, and even conflict. See, the song makes two direct biblical story references underneath a larger umbrella of never losing a battle and tandem with another scriptural reference or two. Let's look at those together. The first reference of the song references the biblical story of Lazarus. I just want to read this story. And maybe you can imbue some just emotional weight of what's happening. Maybe the loss of a loved one or the question, where are you, God? Or why didn't Jesus do this, let me, let me just read John chapter 11 for us. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, 
the village of Mary and his sister Martha. Mary was one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Just some context on her. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him. Lord, the one you love, someone you care about is sick. And when Jesus heard it, he said, The sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. So when he, all, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Huh. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going to go there again? So Jesus is about to enter into a place that's difficulty, a place that he's been rejected before. Jesus says, aren't there 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll get well, thinking very literal. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death. But they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Hey, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Let's go to him. Then Thomas called twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let's go too so that we may die with him. All kinds of interesting statements here. What's going on? But when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Jesus, you said he wasn't going to end in depth, but they put his body in a tomb, shut it up. What's happening here? Bethany was near Jerusalem, the story goes, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them about their brother. And as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained steadfast in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he's going to rise on the last day. She had faith that, and knew what Jesus was talking about. That in the last days, all will be resurrected. The soul and the spirit will be reunited with the body. And she's like, yes, I know that's true. It was shaping that present moment. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. A powerful confession that we all need to make, to sustain us, to believe that. And what's amazing is having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And as soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And they were all 
kinds of people around. Jumping ahead to verse 34, Jesus says, So where have you put Lazarus? Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone was lying against it. He said, remove this stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead four days. Bodies decay. It's going to be awful. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. And then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips. And with his face wrapped in a cloth, Jesus said to him, unwrap him and let him go. And many came and saw and believed. And they told others about what Jesus had done. I don't know about you, but when I read that story, there's a lot of baggage that I tend to put into that story. I think of stories of my own life where it's the timing of God. I, I wonder, where are you? Why didn't this happen? Shouldn't this happen, then this happen, and then this happen? And then all supposed to be good. But if the song is true, if the scripture is true, that God never lost a battle, that he doesn't lose, then we can believe and trust that God's timing is perfect. That he does and still that he does and can do, still do miracles. But that doesn't absolve or eliminate the suffering and the reality of sin in our world. Jesus wanted to show up so that they might believe in the power of God. That it can bring about change and hope. And sometimes that comes on the other side of suffering. And that doesn't mean that the battle is lost or that it's over or that no comeback is too big for God. And it's not really a matter of immediate outcome that produces faith. Instead, it's the experience of the presence of God in the midst of difficulty that can produce more faith. The second verse in the song, Never Lost, alludes to a powerful promise of God's presence in the battle of Jericho in the Old Testament. Within this backdrop of conquering a city of loss and war is the promise that God was preparing a people in a place to represent himself and his way for living to the rest of the world. And the promise for us is not a physical place, nor our eth ethnic or national citizenship that doesn't entitle us to the promise of God. Rather, it's the promise of the presence of the Holy Spirit that has revived our hearts 
which communicates the presence of God. And that presence of God within the midst of a place points to an infinite, eternal reality. In the story of Joshua, he talks later on about how God accomplished what he wanted to through the people of God. And that Joshua 21.45 firmly establishes this truth. That God keeps his word. And not one of God's good promises has ever failed. Not before the time of Joshua. Not in the midst of the Old Testament. Not after and not now. God's promise to love and sustain and be present with you is available and accessible and real today. That's why God can and still does miracles. No comeback story, no difficulty, no fear or failure is too great that God cannot work. And Scripture affirms this time and time again that God never fails. And we must remember in times of desperation and grief that we may not be seeing God's good and gracious purpose from our current vantage point. And that the Lord may want us to, to use a difficult season as a stepping stone, maybe in our spiritual growth, so that we may see and believe. We may see His presence in the midst of difficulty. In trying time, we have to believe that God knows what's best for us and trust in His promises to better understand what does it mean to win or lose in the Christian life. And how we do that, how we define winning and losing, is not just simply a matter of perspective. It's a matter of God's promise. God has committed something to you. He has promised you something. And in the midst of difficulty and trying circumstances, we must be reminded and remember that promise. Or else we will get caught up with trying to play the finite game. Trying to, cheap, to, to, to try to get certain success in wins because that's all we end up playing for. But God's promises are pure and true and that allows us to keep going even when the clock hits zero and we seemingly lose. And we can realize that the battle God won is won against sin and death and Satan. That he provided a way of rescue and renewal. God never faced or fought a battle in Jesus. That he didn't provide a way. He provided a way of rescue and renewal. And so before I get into how we might live this, I think there's a prevalent thought in Christianity today that misapplies this truth that we should just remove ourselves from pain or suffering or difficulty, that God hasn't promised us a way, that he didn't conquer sin, that he didn't conquer death, and then he didn't conquer Satan. No, through Jesus, he frees us from the power of that sin, death, and Satan, and ultimately from the presence of sin in eternity, as Martha said in John. But this, this thought in Christianity today is one that misapplies this truth. Meaning that saying, like, if we would just have enough faith in God, then bad things won't happen. We say things and try to pump ourselves up, such as, it'll be all right, or it'll work out, or I, I, it'll just be good. But, but, but then we never change our action. 
We, we never change course. We never seek to take a step to live out the promise that if God's promise is good and true, then I can move forward, not recluse back, or not just try to pump myself up by flawed or failed words. No, I can move forward. And so how a person acts in light of that sentiment, of how they say things to just pump themselves up, results usually in doing nothing or maybe even passivity. Said another way, I think oftentimes we think if we just have enough faith, then God will really bring a change out there. But never touch right here. Christians, we will miss our participation, what God wants us to do and live out his promises in the world. If we say God's promises are good and true enough for those out there to fix the situations out there, but never stop to think. The renewal God wants to start in the world isn't merely out there. It starts in here. And do we begin to live that he never simply loses a battle not by solving the problems out there, but solving the problems of sin and the heart in you. And if we aren't aware of this, then our witness, our lives, will do ourselves, will do the world a disservice if we aren't more aware of what actually forms our heart, what actually speaks to the renewal in our own lives. Over the last 10 years, just being in ministry, I've seen countless incredible initiatives suffer and fail as leaders and disciples with hearts for God fall into error and to sin and to stagnation and to heresy, even into rigid, man, I cannot speak right now, but uh, like believing more in the power of religion and rules than in the power and the presence of spirit. Or all of the above. And I wonder sometimes why. And it's because I think so often and so desperate, the promises that we believe, we believe is good for out there, but it, we don't allow it to hit home here. Because in our current Western context, it deform, our hearts are deformed by, by the things we hear, the messages we hear in profound destructive ways. Whether it's big business or big data or big porn's ability to reshape our inner worlds. It's unparalleled in human history. I think of the moments where it's like, God, where are you? I see all these amazing initiatives for God fail as the disorder of our human hearts, exacerbated by our cultural scripts, shreds good intentions and eviscerates holy dreams. I think, therefore, if we really want to see a move of God, if we want to see people freed from the bondage of sin, full of God's purposes and presence in their life, then our hearts, the, the next renewal, the, the, the next revival must not be about coming to a building for one hour on Sunday or checking all the right boxes or playing for the finite game of cheap wins that, sweet, we got someone dunked and now we're good. No, we must move forward with a spirit-led faith that says, I'm going to go into uncertainty. I'm going to go into unknown because I'm not going to trust on my perspective. I'm not going to listen to the faulty voices of others, but ultimately I'm going to step out and know that the renewal of God, that His good and holy presence the holiness, the goodness that he wants to see done in the world starts right here in me. And we're able to believe that and live that. Which means for that to be true, 
when we face difficulty and circumstances and uncertainty. We ask and invite the Spirit to work in us, to say, form my life, shape me, win first the battle not in the world, but in my heart. We need a new generation. We need future generations to know that it's not about checking all the boxes. It's not about hoop jumping. It's not about looking a certain way or doing a set of certain things. But it's an overflow of our relationship with Jesus that produces outcomes, that allows us to keep going when the going gets tough, and that we are filled with the Spirit when we're baptized into Him and we can be formed in the ways of Jesus and shaped by His heavenly wisdom. So in conversations with others, the advice we give isn't tactical in such a way that it says, well, if you do this, then you will look right and good. Then, then, it, then, it, then you'll truly be a Christian if you could just do these set of things or perform this way. No, rather, we're able to say, how are you being formed? What is your connection like right now with Jesus? What scriptures are speaking to you? And when you read the scriptures, what is the Spirit saying to you? Where are you feeling challenged or discomfort? Where are you feeling affirmed? And the reality is, is, is so often, I think, that it makes us a little comfortable or uncomfortable. What do you mean I might not have it right? What do you mean I might not have it all together? Isn't that why I'm a Christian is because I'm, you know, buttoning up and I'm feeling good and I got I to gotta do things the right way. And we live in such a world that we want people to be authentic, yes. but, we're not, but we're afraid to be honest with ourselves. Come on. Come on. Yeah. And true authenticity comes out of connection with the author who loves and designed and is good and can speak into what your authenticity actually looks like. Because so often we settle actually for an inauthentic version of ourself when we propagate sin and selfishness and shame by leveraging that at other people. We are most authentic when we are most connected with Him. And so the songs we sing Help us develop a refrain in our heads that renewal is possible. That we are most authentic when we are honest about our shortcomings and our fears and failures. And that God's presence is there in the midst of all that. That says you are loved, that he can win the battle. Because we know that things don't always come out as as we want. We don't always do the things that we want to do. There's no consistency at times in our lives. But it's a consistent pattern of how the Holy Spirit works in a community through song that helps us counteract the default mode of the human heart. When we're able to sing songs about the truths of Scripture so that they get stuck in our head in such a way that it allows us to not live out our perspective, but His. What this song reminds us and never lost we're reminded that God provided a remedy in Jesus, and it's experienced by the power of the Holy Spirit showing up in and through people, turning our hearts of stone into a heart of flesh, meaning we are truly alive by the power of the Spirit.
and that we should have confidence in God. Therefore, it should drive action. We're going to sing another song called Spirit Leave Me, Lead Me, not Spirit Leave Me, Spirit Lead Me. Gosh, I, I, I mean, I, I talk often for a living, you know, you can tell that. But exactly, some things come out of my mouth that I'm like, no, I want to say it this way. I want it to be like this, and it doesn't. But I think it just speaks to the frailty of, of our human existence. That sometimes we want things to be a certain way, that we think things should go a certain way, but the Spirit can lead us and guide us. That sometimes that means sit and wait. Sometimes that means move. Sometimes that means say and speak. Sometimes it means to withhold words. And you will only know what to do if you're responsive to the Spirit. Live and expect God to confirm and correct over and over again through His Word and through His Spirit. Not losing a battle isn't about the removal of consequences. Ultimately, it's about realizing the remedy for sin has been provided through Jesus. To win is to know God and be known by Him. And Revelation 20.14 says, Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. We can have eternal confidence that God will overcome that sin and death will be dealt with. Therefore, we do not have to fear. We know he wins the ultimate battle. But to win the battle in our everyday life, it starts with allowing him to win the battle in our hearts. And living God's commitment to us will enable us to say that he has never lost a battle. And as we align with God's timetable, may the truth that God wins start in us. Let me pray. God, you are good. Start in us, Lord. The renewal that we want to see, the the problems that we want to solve, the the things that we want to see fixed, the pain that we want to see remedy, God, start in us. Do a work that you can only do. May we believe that you do have the power to win, that you can't overcome because you have overcome. Start in us. Do in us what you want to do. Thank you for your love and for your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Four Generations to Come, a podcast by Generations Church. If you want to know what's happening around the church, please visit mygenerations.church. There you'll see opportunities to connect through activity groups and events, as well as gatherings you can attend. We also want to hear your story, how God is working in your life. So jump on over there to our website and share your story. Share how God is at work in your life. And if you're going through a difficult time or you even have some praises, we would love to be able to pray with you and for you. There'll be a button there to do that as well. Have an incredible week.